Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor, Director of Research and Strategy at 11FS. In today's episode, we are asking, are small and medium-sized businesses being served globally? No matter where you're tuning in from, at some point you're likely to have heard that independent small businesses are the backbone of your economy. But, to date, that backbone of entrepreneurs and small business owners has often lacked the proper support needed from financial services. According to the World Economic Forum, 67% of small and mid-sized companies globally are fighting for survival. So in this show, we've put an amazing panel of experts together from around the world to discuss what does the picture look like for SMEs globally, what are the challenges for those serving SMEs across markets, and what is the future likely to be for banking services for small and medium-sized businesses. So we'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. The Blinkist app offers distilled content from over 5,000 nonfiction books and podcasts in an audio-first experience, so you can easily fit them into your day, letting you learn new things all on the go. Discover a friend of the show Dan McCrum's Money Men, his journey to exposing the Wirecard scandal, all within 20 minutes. Sounds pretty good, huh? Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, our Fintech Insider listeners. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash Fintech to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account with a friend or partner and get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. That's Blinkist, spelt B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash Fintech. Buying a home is the biggest and most significant purchase most people make in their lifetime. And it doesn't matter where in the world you're buying, the process is rarely easy. In our latest report, experts from our 11FS Ventures team look at why the home buying process is broken, how we can fix it, and the massive commercial opportunity it presents for banks and fintechs. Download your free copy at 11FS.com slash homebuying. That's 11FS.com slash homebuying. Okay, let's get started. So I'm joined today by some wonderful guests who are going to shed some light on this really interesting topic. First off, it's a fintech insider debut for Saeed Murad, partner of Global Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us today, Saeed. Can you briefly tell our listeners a little bit about you and about Global Ventures and your role in the small and medium-sized business market? Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you so much for having me here today. Um, as, as you mentioned, I'm a partner at Global Ventures. We are a UAE-based uh, venture capital firm that invests across the Middle East and Africa, backing founders that are looking to sort of change change the world, essentially, from, from where we stand. Um, we uh, Myself, I started my career in private equity, then transitioned into, uh, into banking and consulting before moving into operator roles. Combining these, I joined um, initially as an operating partner at Global Ventures and then a full partner. Um, we love uh, investing around the Series A stage, typically, and we are uh, sector agnostic. That's uh, us in brief. And uh, supporting early stage businesses, they represent a lot of the SMEs that you see in different markets. And so that's how we uh, come into play here. Fantastic. And welcome. 
Okay, well, we're now going to spin around a quarter of the way around the world uh, to make a welcome return to Fintech Insider for our next guest, Bruno Diniz, co-founder of SpearLM. Welcome back, Bruno. Can you remind our audience about you and your role at SpearLM, please? Sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be here again. Um, Spiralin is uh, basically a, a consulting firm. We work with uh, big financial players and also with fintechs, helping them uh, tap some of the, the challenges that we have in, the, in our industry, in the financial industry. We also advise um, uh, governmental bodies on, on, on policy and also on uh, innovation in general for financial sector. Um, besides that, I'm also a teacher at the University of Sao Paulo here in, in Brazil. I teach um, at the MBA courses uh, fintech and financial innovation, and got two uh, best-selling books in the in the country regarding fintech, the uh, the fintech phenomenon, and uh, the new financial logic. So it's a, it's a pleasure uh, to be here again. Thank you for coming to to share your fascinating perspectives as always. Um, now coming much, much closer to me, <laughs> uh, we have a fintech insider debut for Rob Pierce, technical advisor to the chief executive's office at Oak North Bank. Great to have you here, Rob. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh, your role at Oak North? Sure. Um, thank you, Ben. Really happy to be here. Um, really excited. So, yeah, Rob Pierce. I work at, at Oak North, and I'm the technical advisor to Rishi Kosler, who is the CEO and co-founder of Oak North. Um, you know, for those of you who are familiar with the Amazon way of doing things, technical advisor is somewhat equivalent to a chief of staff, and that, and that might be a little bit more familiar with with a number of the listeners. Um, and that role entitles, you know, everything from making sure that Rishi's in the right place at the right time, speaking to the right people with the right things. So it's it's a pretty varied and diverse role, um, but it allows me to do some pretty cool stuff like this. Uh, my background, I was more traditional sort of investment banking in Australia. Um, that's where I started my career. And then three years ago, moved to the UK, wanted to find something a little bit more interesting and something I could be passionate about and ended up working for Rishi. So it's been a pretty fun journey. Uh, Oak North um, is a small business lender based in the UK. So we service the, what we call the missing middle, um, which is, you know, those scale up companies, um, with revenues of kind of between one and a hundred million pounds or dollars. And we've been going for about eight years and we've lent over that time about just over eight and a half billion pounds. We also have a smaller software business where we take some of those key pieces of the, the lending and the credit underwriting that we do. And we partner with US commercial lenders to you know, help support them with some of their lending in the US market as well. Fantastic. Welcome. And we're now going to go to a fourth continent for our fourth guest, uh, Danny Lima, Executive Vice President of Infrastructure at Novo. It's fantastic to have you here too. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and a little bit about Novo, please? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. So I'll start with Novo. Novo is a fintech platform for small businesses. We provide financial services like a checking account, a debit card, um, and funding, um, as well as an ecosystem of financial applications, right, in the U.S. And I joined Novo almost two years ago, and I'd come from 20 years in the banking industry, having done everything from consumer banking to investment banking. I was at the Federal Reserve during the financial crisis, and I did the bailout of AIG, as well as building the Fed's counterparted credit risk model um, before going into mergers and acquisitions, did a whole bunch of things um, within banking, including corporate strategy. And in my final role, um, I was actually, at, before joining FinTech, I was at Citigroup, and I was working on um, really a specific business strategy, and I realized that 
all of the meaty, impactful things going forward were going to be in fintech and not in banking. And so that was my transition to Novo. Not looking back. It was great. Fantastic. Well, welcome. Um, so it's a great pleasure to have uh, four such experts uh, with me today. So let's start. Let's dive in. I think what we'd like to do is start with just a sort of overview of uh, the small business and medium-sized business market and some of the challenges that um, businesses of various sizes have had getting banking and lending services. So I think I'm going to start with um, a question. Just Let's just define what we mean by sort of small and medium-sized businesses because it's easy to think, oh, it's just one sector. The firms are all kind of the same. Um, I think they're not. Um, Danny, maybe I can start with you. How, how do you characterize the small and medium-sized business market? How do you sort of segment it? How do you think about it? Can you give us a sort of brief summary of how you sort of think about the market? Yeah. So I think every country might have a body or an agency that might define it differently. In the U.S., we have quite a few regulatory agencies and governmental bodies that all have a different view depending on what kind of benefits they're going to give or what kind of influence they're going to have, right? So we have the Small Business Association in the U.S. that might define it very differently um, than like the Better Business Bureau, which is independent. Um, for Novo itself, we're really focused on customers, on small businesses that might not be venture-backed. So a little different than the missing middle, I think, that we talked about earlier, but um, really companies that might be one to five employees, right? And probably are making revenues that are to the point where they're, you know, a founder might be quitting their day job, but, you know, they're not necessarily ramped up enough to have like a small army of employees. So somewhere between 50,000 US dollars to 250,000 US dollars per year. Saeed, let's come to you. Um, in the markets that you're looking at, do you have similar ways of sort of thinking about the sort of small and medium-sized business market? Do you kind of segment the market in similar ways or do you, do you see different segments? Sure. I'd say it's by and large uh, similar definitions to a certain extent. Um, but uh, again, the nuances here would be when you look at the GCC, it's going to be slightly different to looking at Africa, slightly different to looking at North Africa. And so different markets have slightly more nuanced approaches. But by and large, just for the sake of generalization, we can go with what Danny was saying. Okay. So how how well have um, these businesses been served by banks and lenders historically? Let's say sort of before the past two or you know three or four years. So um, maybe Bruno, let's let's come to you, and maybe you can talk about Brazil and maybe broaden it out a bit as well. If you um, how 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 well have they been served in the past? What have been some of the challenges for sort of small and medium sized businesses in getting access to loans and banking services? Sure, man. I, I think especially in the case of Brazil, uh, I think the costs are very high for for you, you, when you think about the smaller shops and uh, some smaller companies. It's a it's a service that is costly and not only costly. And I I, I don't think that they really. Uh, can serve uh, the, the the clients in the in the best way possible. So that's that's that has been the the main challenge here. When you look at the banking structure in Brazil, we have five major banks that basically dominate uh, the scene. Uh, recently, we saw a, like explosion of many neo banks targeting up consumers, uh, but now we're seeing a revolution of new players uh, tapping into the market. 
of uh, small and medium enterprises. And, and there is another segment, which I think is very important, which is the micro. There is a, spe a specific category here in Brazil, which is the micro individual entrepreneur, which is someone that uh, basically you are an independent uh, player. You are like a designer. You have a very, very small uh, design studio or something like that, for example. And uh, you had the opportunity to uh, be a formal player, uh, have a, like a, a, an ID for you or in your company, uh, and you can be formal. So I think this specific uh, segment here, uh, it's heavily underserved. Uh, and players like Nubank, for example, when they started their journey on providing services to this segment, they started with this niche, which is comprised by 30, uh, uh, 13 million uh, different uh, players. So, so, so it's, um, it's significant. But, uh, but I think the main challenge here has been the cost. That, uh, it's, it's based on, on the costs that are uh, uh, very high and uh, the poor delivery of, of, of the services. It's, it's changing, but it's been like this for, for decades. Rob, I've deliberately come to you last because I, I, I figured you'd probably want to ask, answer this question about how have things changed over the past five years? Because Oak North has obviously been very successful in the, in the British market. Um, what are the sorts of things that you and other digital banks and uh, neobanks and so on uh, like you have been doing to try and serve small and medium-sized businesses and indeed, to Bruno's point, the micro-businesses? Um, what are the sorts of things you've been doing to try and serve those customers better? Yeah, it's it's a really good point. I mean, I think you've seen over the last sort of 10 years, a real proliferation of technology in using and serving the, in the consumer and making that very commoditized and very productized. And as a result, people are getting a much better experience. But you haven't seen that as you start to look at the SME segment yet, because they are naturally a little bit more complex. Even, you know, as you say, like the micro SME, it's probably that intervening layer where you're starting to see, you know, people like Tide in the UK that have had a huge amount of success in serving those sort of very small businesses. But then as businesses grow, their needs grow and, and become more nuanced and more complicated. And so what you're now starting to see is increasingly firms, not just in the UK, um, but in the US. And it's interesting, Bruno, you spoke about Nubank and we've spent some time with those guys looking at, at those, you know, starting to look to that segment as well, because it has really been underserved. You know, as we talk about how do you transition from a startup to a scale-up, that's been very difficult for, you know, to get served. And I think over the last five years, we have seen more people start to recognize the value and the, or the economic value that that segment of companies have had. And they've had a really poor experience. So, and that's where Oak North is kind of playing. We, we've, deliberately gone for that much that much smaller more complicated segment because and again I can talk about our founder journeys but but that's where my our founders were previously and that was a very formative experience for them Dan thank you Danny have you are you addressing similar sorts of challenges is it similar motivations for Nova Absolutely. I think, you know, Novo is in an interesting position because we are in self, ourselves, a scale-up, right? We're no longer a startup and we're in our journey. And so we very much identify with the same struggles that our customers are going through, right? Like what you do and what you need to get from zero to one is different than one to 100. Um, and so we very much live those day-to-day -day challenges and in a way that helps us get perspective on doing that. Um, and every time that we encounter others that are trying to service the same market, the same segment, especially in other countries, we're able to learn and leverage so much of that. Saeed, I'd love to hear your your view on what's, what's exciting you about these markets as, as an investor. Um, 
do you still see a lot of untapped potential to serve customers better? We absolutely do. One of the things about uh, deploying and investing in emerging markets is you have the opportunity to A, be a part of shaping infrastructure and B, enabling the last, the last mile that can service that infrastructure or build on it and then service customers. And so in essence, what, what, what you're seeing is a lot of opportunities popping up across different markets, which could seem uh, very basic in, in some of the other markets, but are actually dire necessities in the markets in which we deploy and invest. Take, for example, something like payments infrastructure. The fact that the, uh, digital payments penetration in markets like, for example, Egypt are, are still at a very low rate, it means that there's a lot of opportunity to back payments infrastructure players, something that you know might not necessarily seem like an obvious play um, in other markets. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, the ability to sort of provide financing. Um, I'd say our region is probably one of the lowest in terms of uh, people taking on debt on a per capita basis just because of certain taboos around it. So going to SME lending, for example, you'll find that there's a massive gap in SMEs having access to financing, whether that's debt, equity, MES, or anything in between. And so what you're talking about is a massive opportunity, a major gap, and something that we can try to address. We try to address at least the equity piece of it. Um, And even at that, you know, in, in general, I'd say in the region, success rates in terms of people approaching for venture funding is about sub 1%. And so the ability for people to still access even at that layer is still going to be quite challenging, quite difficult. So from our perspective, as somebody that's deploying, we see a lot of opportunity, but the market is underserved. Do you guys find that there's an aversion to taking on debt in your markets, even if you do have access? Because I feel like culturally in some communities or in some markets, right, there's a stigma around it. And I'm not sure if that pertains to SMEs as well. Historically, but it's evolving. People are starting to understand the health of having the right sort of capital formation, whether at a company level, an SME level, and what have you. But historically, there was a little bit of sort of hesitation around it. So that's such an interesting point about a sort of cultural aversion to lending, and of course, even you know, to some extent, a sort of a, a religious ban, obviously, on, on you know, in Islam uh, on lending, that obviously makes it maybe more difficult and also just less less likely that, that people will borrow money or, or find sources of financing because of the, 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 the cultural barriers. Um, Bruno, let's just come, come around to you for this sort of final thing. Do you, do you see any... So, so, sorry, 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 Benjamin, but just, just, a quite, just a small interjection here. There are Sharia-compliant structured uh, loan products that are available in the market, but to your point, they're just not as easily available or as easily accessible. So they are available. They, there are products that are developed in market to enable that. So from a religious perspective, people can still access products that are deemed Sharia compliant. But you're right. It's not sort of available en masse. Got it. Okay, well, let's move into the next uh, the next section. So we talked a little bit about how the, the market looks today. So let's look at some of the sort of challenges and opportunities when it comes to players, uh, companies trying to serve small businesses and medium-sized businesses and the micro-businesses that <laughs> better. Um, there's lots of segments in this market. Um, Bruno, what do you think are some of the biggest pain points, some of the biggest challenges that have been stopping companies from effectively supporting and servicing all of those micro, small, and medium-sized businesses with both banking services and and lending uh, products? Yeah, I think that when you look at the perspective like uh, three to five years ago, 
we just, I, I, as, as I, I told you, we have basically the product by the big banks and it's just like one, one size fits all uh, type of product. So when you, when you go to the micro players, um, uh, micro entrepreneurs and, and all of that, it, it, it was just like too costly for them. And, and then we, we also saw another thing, which is for most of the big banks offering those, 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 those type of services, they didn't offer uh, things like a credit card, just, just, in, just like in the beginning of the relationship. They would, it would take at least one year for, for the bank to proper, okay, I'm, I'm going to start offering you uh, uh, you know, credit card. Uh, a year, and, and that's a year to yeah, get a credit card. A year to get a credit card for for most wow. of those uh, big banks, and and the problem is when you look at the the economy we have now, that you pay basically everything through credit cards. So if you if you want to uh, pay for your Amazon Web Services or anything like that, you you need a credit card. Uh, otherwise, there, there are other other schemes for you to make uh, to, to properly pay. So some of the the neo banks that enter this space, they start addressing this type of of pain, which is most of the players don't need everything that the bank got, like uh, fancy trade finance products, things like that. Basically, we're going to provide checking accounts uh, and also a credit card and some some sort of intelligence for those players so that they can really uh, manage better their, 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 their the finances of the of the company so it started like that i think that was one of the of the, the biggest challenge we, challenges we 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 had to address uh, now we i think we are moving to a, a next stage of on that uh, based on the open finance infrastructure in brazil which is allowing for uh, more personalization on 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 the everything that they offer but that's a, that's the next stage. But another thing I would point, I think it's very important, is basically how uh, now we are start seeing something more sophisticated, which basically is being called as ERP banking, mm -hmm. when some ERP platforms are embedding uh, banking services into that. So that's, I think, that's the next stage uh, that we're going to see. Uh, and basically that's a stage for the medians, multi-median, uh, players, but when you look at the micro to very small, it's still just like the very basic. It, it's enough to satisfy uh, and 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 uh, resolve their problems. So ERP is enterprise resource planning. So it's platforms like sort of Oracle and so on that that enable companies to do all sorts of, sort of logistics and supply chain and so on. Yeah, yeah. This type of, or, or we're talking about uh, cloud cloud accounting uh, platforms. You like, know, like zero like, uh, or yeah, zero into it. Yeah. yeah. So those players, uh, the local players that that are in this market in Brazil, are starting to move to in this direction, which I think it's, it's amazing. Rob, I'm going to put you into an unaccustomed role and get you to try and defend the established banks, right? What, what, are, the, what are some of the barriers? What, why, is, why has it been hard for established banks to serve these markets effectively? Yes, they're diverse. Yes, there's lots of different types of customers. But, but why is there this gap in the market for firms like you and Novo to, to come into? I mean, it's, it speaks to my earlier point, I guess, which is it's yeah, they've got very well-established structures and frameworks for assessing credit at the very micro level. And then they've also, but they've also got, it's, it's worth their while. It's got the ability to really go into the detail for that enterprise level, much larger companies and, and really roll out the red carpet and spend the time. Yeah, you can't have 
um, an analyst or a team of analysts working, you know, nonstop for a loan of, you know, half a billion dollars. It just doesn't work, right? The economics don't stack up. And whereas at the micro level, you can be a bit more formulaic and structured in how you underwrite a lot of that credit. That gap, I think, it's that in-between point that is quite hard to assess. It's how do you give that, you know, that bespoke, that, that, that credit underwriting experience and that, and that, that borrowing experience while at the same time making sure that, you know, you can um, build a company, earn a living when the interest costs you know, that you might be making as a lender may, may only be in the hundreds or, or thousands of dollars, right? So that's why I think the big banks have, have struggled because they've got all of this legacy infrastructure. They've got these massive teams. They just don't have the ability to to serve those markets. And anytime they do try something new, they tend to be hampered and hamstrung by a lot of what the, the existing infrastructure that sits within the business. Cost of service is too high, right? Massively, right? Absolutely. And you see, and there are some really exciting companies, you know, all over the world that you're starting to, to really recognize that problem and coming about it in really innovative ways to, to solve it. So how do you get that cost to serve down. Um, I mean, so that's a great point. How, how, how do firms like Novo, <laughs> you know, how do you get that cost to serve down? Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of fintech, right? Is you're finding ways that are in fact scalable, right? You have to automate, you have to look for alternative data points. Like the reality is the more you differentiate yourself from others in the market, the better you're going to be able to provide economics, not only for yourself, but for your end customers, right? So like using the same underwriting criteria that we used before we were born may not be the most effective way today to find, right? Like who's actually credit worthy, right? And the more we're able to leverage, like, you know, Rob talked about legacy infrastructure. I think everyone knows today that data is key to everything we do. The better we are, the better our infrastructure is to absorb and really learn from those data points, the more positioned we're going to be like going forward. And so that's really the key, not only, well, honestly, good luck to them, to the big banks, because they need it too, but it is much easier also when you don't have the opportunity cost of like, if it takes you just as much time to diligence a small customer versus a large one, and you're going to make a ton more money, you're never going to have all of your resources focused there, right? Like that trade-off it just isn't there. And when you get to specialize in this segment, that's when you really get to create things that others aren't spending the time to do, right? Like getting really good at underwriting is about like taking the time to do what others aren't willing to, right? And not everyone's positioned for that. Really nice. And I'd like just add to that very yeah, quickly. Please. I think what we've seen is a proliferation of these companies. Like the tech has evolved to a point where you've seen these companies that are able to specialize and provide very low cost solutions for things like core banking. You know, three, four years ago, it's very much something that you had to build yourself. Whereas now there's, you know, three, four, five different producers out there that are able to do it. And that's that banking as a service, I think, which makes it much more accessible for, to allow financiers to really serve those customers in a much more cost effective way. How much? Is how much of a problem is cash for uh, sort of micro, small and medium-sized businesses? Because sometimes I think, you know, the businesses, the small businesses that are embracing new digital players like, you know, North and Novo and so on and New Bank uh, um, are often digital businesses themselves, right? You know, they're, they're startups in a whole variety of sectors like media and so on. But that all of the, all of the sort of restaurants, all the taxi businesses, all the traditional businesses that are still handling cash maybe are not so well served by the digital banks. 
Um, Saeed, do you see that in some of the regions that you're operating in, that there's this almost a divide between traditional cash-based businesses that are maybe not being that well served by the new entrants and the digital younger businesses that maybe are? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, by and large, yes. Um, but that's where you have the proliferation of solutions like mobile wallets, etc. So if you look at Egypt, for example, one of our portfolio companies, Paymob, did, is they developed a mobile wallet infrastructure initially to enable multiple things, A, peer-to-peer, B, integration into telcos. Uh, mobile penetration is very high in this part of the world. And so you get access to people's devices. They have their mobile wallets on there. They can get the cash in, cash out. Essentially, you solve for that major challenge of how do you cash into the system? How do you cash out from the system? That's sort of one of the biggest challenges in these types of markets. And then you provide the technology in between the technology layers. So you enable digital payment, transfers, peer-to-peer, etc. the works. But the key thing that they're solving for is enabling those access points for cash in and cash out. That's a really, really, really nice point. Um, so to some extent, um, small businesses or medium-sized businesses who want to get better served, they need to think about how do they how do they become more digital themselves because it's that cash that's sort of maybe holding them back a bit sometimes. Yeah. What about trust? Bruno, let's come to you. Um, how much do you think small businesses struggle with trusting completely new firms? Because um, obviously I, I ask Oak North and Nova, they're like, not at all, it's just fine. <laughs> is, is trust an issue, do you think, for, for newer firms trying to come in and serve the small, small and medium-sized business market? I think, I think that's not a big issue. It's just like the case of, um, for example, here in Brazil, when you, when you see we adopt new technologies, uh, new players very easily. We don't have that. The, the barrier here is not that big. And, and another thing is, it's just like a binary situation. You just like, a, you, you cannot not have proper access provided by the big players. Let's, 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 let's go to check this. This offering by those new new players, uh, and in most of the cases is 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 you know is not that expensive. So there are some advantages uh, for for those players. And there's another interesting thing here in Brazil, and we we're talking about cash just recently. Uh, uh, here we implemented in 2020 Pix, which is our fast uh, payment systems in, a, in an instant payment system in the in the country. Um, and the cool thing is when you when you using Pix between like for p2p uh, payments uh, between uh, people uh, it's it's uh, zero cost we have zero cost for for, for the people that transacting money mm-hmm. but uh, the central bank of brazil which is the provider of the infrastructure they said that if you are a, a financial institution and you have like a, a a company that is your client you are you can decide what you're going to charge for them for receiving money uh, like what would be the the, the fee for uh, for picks and the cool thing is the big banks they still have uh, the fees for for the clients that receive money uh, through through picks but the fintechs the new players they said okay we won't put any fee on that uh, so that's another advantage as well so when you see when you see the neo banks that when you have a possibility of you can charge what you believe is the is is, is the best. Uh, alternative of what makes sense for you as an institution and some new players said we're not ch- charging anything so that also another very good argument for new players which i think that the trust issue that that might have in other countries mm-hmm. i think it's not happening here because also because of this of this 
really interesting. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a mindset thing, right? Like I think if if you're starting up a fintech, you you have a particular mindset. You want to help somebody, and you want and you you've seen a problem that you want to solve. And with the greatest respect to you know like my previous life and and you know my friends in the larger banks is. I, I think that's that mindset is less common, right? And so when we talk about, you know, the no fees, it's because those people have said, no, no, I understand what it's like to be in that situation. And I get that I can monetize elsewhere. This is not just about clipping the ticket along the way. This is about providing a better experience. And I know that that's going to drive the customer value that will pay off in other ways. I love that. I love that point, Rob. You're absolutely <laughs> singing to the choir on that one. Uh, Danny, very quickly. Yeah, no, just on that point, what we've noticed at Novo is that all of our small businesses want to help the other small businesses on our platform. Like that idea of having that community and that network of others that are experiencing those same challenges, that's so powerful today. I bore my team continually by saying the future is all about digital business ecosystems and companies working together. Right, we're just going to take a very quick pause here and we will be back very shortly. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Okay, so we've talked about some of the challenges in the market today, um, some of the opportunities. Um, so let's think about the future and what what's coming. Um, so Saeed, I'd love to come to you first. Why is it so important um, that economies get this right and get the right support to sort of small and medium-sized businesses? And, and, you know, why are you at Global Ventures focused on this sort of sector of the market? Let's, let's start with, with a few figures. Um, according to the World Bank, 90% of businesses uh, across the global SMEs, they represent more than 50% of employment. A formal SMEs, just the formal ones on their own, contribute about 40% of GDP in emerging economies. Um, about seven out of 10 jobs, if you will, in, or formal jobs are generated by SMEs in emerging markets. Yet, the second most cited obstacle facing SMEs to grow their businesses in emerging markets is uh, access to finance. So whether that's access to equity financing, whether it's access to uh, debt, again, back to the earlier discussions, uh, you know, there, there's a lot that can be said here. What that means for the future is, and what we're actually seeing in markets where we operate, we're seeing the banks turning towards the fintechs to partner. Back to Bruno's comment, I believe, on banking as a service. It's actually really sort of starting to, to, to proliferate here in the market. We're seeing banks change their mindset. It's not competitive. It's not the fintech or the bank, but rather a combination of the two, collaborating together. The banks are backing the fintechs, supporting them. Open banking laws are being drawn up and, and released here. Yes, I understand that that's already been done in other markets, but when you look at emerging markets, these are key steps to enable that sector to really thrive and grow. I want to pick up on a point that you just made there, Said, and, and tie it to the point Danny made about sort of communities and businesses wanting to help each other. Um, does this 
move beyond small business banking and medium-sized business banking and actually become a wider market for small business services. Bruno was making the point earlier about um, the ERP players, the accounting platforms that are becoming hubs or platforms for, for businesses to do all sorts of things, including finding loans. Danny, as you think about that at, at, at Novo, I mean, what what market are you in? Are you in the small business services market? Are you in the small business banking market? Are you starting to see those players and sort of embedded lending potentially becoming actually where the market is? Um, well, the good news is that Novo is not a bank, right? And that's what's great is we're a tech platform. And so we can help small businesses in any capacity, right? We're our own limitations, right? So we do provide financial services, but we do also have this platform of what we call an ecosystem. So we partner with all sorts of firms like Xero um, and QuickBooks, and all of that's integrated um, transfer-wise, for example, to do international transfers from our platform. We don't have to create, you know, we don't have to do everything in-house. That's what's great. And that, you know, is in addition to the community building services that we have, where we try to just partner our customers with one another. So how many of them need like a data consultant? How many of them are also looking for an accountant or a lawyer who already are on our platform, right? And so, yeah, I think very much our play is that we don't want to limit ourselves to just providing financial services. If we can drive value for those who are on our platform, why would we stop there? Love it. Bruno, I imagine that, that, that um, sorry, talking about open banking and so on has got you itching to, to come in with your perspective. Perfect. Yeah, I, I, we live in an API economy. So basically, um, just like for the point of Danny, uh, it, it makes no, no sense for new players to develop everything in-house in terms of, uh, of, of the products that, you know, when you see a journey of the entrepreneur, they will need as the business grows. So they can really connect that. We have some 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 examples from from the UK. We have Starling Bank, for example. They have like a, the whole variety of, of of partners, and and they try to integrate us as 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 much as possible with this. And and I think that's the new mindset that even some banks are incorporating. I think it's great, fantastic. Uh, and another thing we think is we are the basic stuff. We I think we're passing the point of the basic stuff, which is like a. Having a checking account is just like when you look at consumers. It's just like a basic financial inclusion for for consumers. Now we're talking about basic basic financial inclusion for 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 companies because otherwise they're going to be informal company companies and they have a will have a cap on their growth on on where they can really go with their the impact they can cause with their 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 business. So that's another thing. I think we're passing that. I think the, the next step would be basically incorporating intelligence and giving intelligence and tools that goes beyond banking for all those uh, players. So we're talking about legal uh, services, all of that, and, and, and that could be integrated to, through APIs. Uh, because when you look at the mortality of the, the business in Brazil, it's just like very, very high. So it's just like uh, 40%, uh, more than 40% won't, won't make it to the, 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 the five years of, of operation. So when it, it and it's a it's a situation that's not only about the market and market conditions, uh, it's about how well the, the, the entrepreneur can in, understand the financials of the company and, and have data to really make important decisions uh, and also of, of course have access to other types of, of product. But uh, we are now I think that the, the key point now is just not only providing the basic stuff, but how you can provide things that really will help those companies uh, flourish. So 
that 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 would be my point here. I, I love that. Rob, does that align with your 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 vision at Oak North? And I'm particularly thinking some of the sort of um, Bruno's comments about sort of APIs and so on, because Oak North you know, has a reputation for you know being very effective at using data and things like open banking and so on. Do you share Bruno's vision of how the market's going to evolve, or do you have a different spin on it? No, massively. I think yeah, and again, what whereas Oak North, you know, unlike Novo, we are at the moment we are still sort of a very I'm not going to say simple, but, but yeah, we are a lender, uh, but we, are, we drive a lot of that, uh, a lot of the performance and a lot of our engagement is, is about trying to be more than just a financing partner, you know, for those businesses. And we do that in a bunch of different ways. Joel, Rishi and Joel, the two co-founders of the business, they are data science guys at their heart. That was their background. They are entrepreneurs. As a result, that mindset of using data and leveraging data flows through everything we do. And that is in our back office where we think about things like how, you know, sectors to target and, and the credit underwriting and the provisioning, but it also f- feeds through to our customers. Um, you know, and there's been so much said about COVID and the impact and, and all of the great things that happened. But one thing that we did, we were able to use that data, both those traditional as the alternative data points to run those stress scenarios on our loan book in real time and then feed that information back to our borrowers to say, hey, have you thought about this? If this happens, maybe you should think about that. And then where we saw best practices within our borrower group, we asked them and we fed that back into the broader group. It comes back to that community point as well, sharing that best practice and really making sure that you're creating you know, we, we fund what we think are, are the best businesses in the UK and we want to empower them to do more. And we want to make sure that we have that, that ripple effect on the broader economy. I love that point. And I love that point of really trying to think about the outcomes of your businesses. And to, you know, to Bruno's point about the sort of mortality of, of small and medium-sized businesses, trying to reduce, <laughs> reduce that mortality by, by giving, them, giving them more help. Um, Danny, you were nodding uh, vigorously as, as, as yeah. Rob was talking there. I'm just happy that small business owners don't have to go and ask their cousins or their in-laws for money like they used to, right? Like that already is a big win, right? And anything that we do to help them thrive and just like not have to necessarily leverage that personal realm of their life is a big win, right? And that's what's going to encourage other future businesses, right? going forward the next round of entrepreneurs isn't that where you have models like roscas for example popping up that can still enable that same feel but then uh, sorry are you familiar with roscas before i tell it tell our listeners it's basically something called a rotating savings and credit association so it's a rotating savings and credit association it's this common thing where you pull together different um people that come, whether it's from your circle or from multiple circles, they pull in and they create an informal lending institution, if you will. And so having access to those kinds of Rosca, so having access to, in emerging markets, it's, it's prevalent. Said, I'm going to come to you with one last question. No, no, I'm going to come to you with one last question, then I think we'll go back to everyone to, to, to wrap it up. I want, my question to you is about international expansion. You know, we, we've been talking about sort of small business platforms and ERP platforms and, you know, firms like Oracle and Xero and Intuit, they're not necessarily global, but they operate in a lot of different countries. And yet when you look at banking services, banking is essentially still a, primarily a national business with a f- few exceptions at the corporate end where you've got Citi and JP Morgan and HSBC that kind of operate across markets. Do you think we're going to ever see much sort of international expansion of banks serving small and medium-sized customers, or do you think it, this will always be a kind of a national or local business? If not banks, then definitely fintechs. And within the broader fintech space, neobanks or digital banks, they because of 
technology, they're going to be able to scale across borders more easily. For traditional banks, you're always going to have regulatory uh, challenges. You're going to have licensing challenges. You're going to have different nuances that you're going to need to navigate and invest heavily into to enable them to grow and serve. And so if we circle back to our earlier point on cost to serve, cost to set up all the way through to cost to serve is sort of the whole challenge that they'll face. And so what you're really going to dive into is how can a fintech expand, even if within with certain sub-products or sub-verticals from what they offer into different markets, to capture those niche sort of market segments. All right, we've got two minutes left. So I've got a quick fire question for all of you. You've got 30 seconds each. Um, how well served are small businesses today and what's going to happen to make it better? Um, Bruno, how well served are they today and what's going to uh, result in them getting served better? Yeah, I think it improved a lot, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, I think the situation was far worse than five years time. But now I think that we are in a good uh, good way. I think we have players that can really solve the, the problems of the different categories of from micro to small and medium. Uh, but uh, I believe what's going to change the game is it's, it's data. Uh, not only the ones that um, you know, the, the, the institution can process and, 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 and use, but also when you talk about open finance uh, infrastructure that we have here currently in Brazil and how you can combine uh, the data that you can uh, get from the company or the business uh, and this data that they have uh, opportunity to share from other institutions. So that's going to be a game changer. Danny. Yeah, so I think small business is actually the segment, at least in the United States, that continues to be most poorly served by traditional finance. And I still think FinTech has the most room to grow in this space. So I'll agree with Bruno that it's better than it was five years ago, but there is like light years to go, right? Like there is no shortage of, of work to do. So I'm actually gonna go in a contrarian view um, to what Said said about expanding internationally and saying like, I've seen a lot of these really, for, like these FinTech firms I admire quite a bit that like moved up market and started in small business and they moved up market or they expanded outside of their domestic and they lost that ability to really focus on generating, right? Like what no one else will pay attention to. Rob. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with my university score. I'm going to give us a six out of 10 for, uh, for small businesses. So, you know, it's better than the four it was a couple of years ago, but yeah, you know, to Danny's point, I think there's still so much to go, right? Like, I think we are starting to recognize, like the world is starting to recognize how important this is, you know, to our global growth. And so you are getting that attention. And I think what's really going to drive it is, is the proliferation of technology and the different services and the specializations that is going to make it so much easier to serve this market, you know, through the data, through the, the infrastructure structure you know, through the top of the funnel work that they're able to do to really drive and empower these you know this segment to go further and Said, love the contrarian view as a start um but i i will say it's uh i i still absolutely um stand by the the, the statement fintechs are going to be more agile and they will be the ones to expand if there is room for expansion because they have the ability to do that um and in terms of uh where we are today we're still early days what we're seeing is shifts and regu uh, regulators sort of viewpoints towards um, how they would uh, operate with fintechs, how they would enable fintechs, how they enable that growth. And so we're, we're still early days and there's a lot of opportunity both in market and um, growth beyond sort of current markets where they operate. And so I think, again, yes, there are light years to go before we get to where we need to be, but you know, we're, on, we're, we're, we're on the right path. 
Wonderful. So I think I can conclude by saying that digital SME banking is is 1% finished. Um, (laughs) So that wraps up today's discussion. You have been absolutely fantastic guests. It's been a pleasure to speak to you in four continents. And I guess, Rob, if we can count you as Australian, maybe we can call that five continents. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find out a little bit more about uh, you and your companies? Um, Bruno? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically uh, pretty active on, on LinkedIn. So if you type Bruno Diniz uh, and if you type FinTech, uh, uh, you, you're going to find me uh, as one of the top search. But uh, yeah, that's basically my, my main channel. Danny? Um, well, there's Novo.co and our Twitter handle is at Novo underscore HQ. Um, and my LinkedIn is my full name, Danielle Vicente Lima. Fantastic. Uh, Rob? Uh, so if you're in the UK, it's it's Oak North Bank. So it's at Oak North Bank um, for Twitter or oaknorthbank.co.uk. In the US, it's just at Oak North and oaknorth.com. And, you know, if you'd like to join the other 11 people that follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at RJPierce90. <laughs> and Saeed. So uh, on active on LinkedIn as well, Saeed Murad. Um, and Global Ventures uh, on LinkedIn. And global.vc is our website. Thank you. And you can find me, Benjamin Ensor, on 11fs.com or uh, as Benjamin Ensor on LinkedIn. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you liked what you've heard, uh, please do subscribe to our podcast. Uh, Do leave us a review. Let us know uh, what you'd like to hear about in future conversations. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11fs.com. So thank you all so much to my guests and thank you to all the listeners and goodbye.